2: With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien, while she's traveling. Today, I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity. The bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Many people associate the term yoga with exercise. Kriya Yoga is a wider system, including philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. As a medical doctor and longtime practitioner of Kriya Yoga, I have found it to be a comprehensive system for enhanced well-being on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. Today we're going to explore Yoga and the Vedas, the eternal and universal tradition of self-awareness. This begins our new series on the journey of self-discovery, and today we are joined by Pandit Vamadeva Shastri, David Frawley, and Yongini Shambhavi, for a conversation about Yoga and the Vedas. Vedacharya David Frawley, or Pandit Vamadeva Shastri, is a Western-born teacher in the Vedic tradition. In India, Vamadeva is recognized as a Vedic teacher, teacher, or Vedacharya, and includes in his scope of studies Ayurveda, yoga, Vedanta, and Vedic astrology, as well as ancient Vedic texts. Vamadeva is the author of more than 30 books available in 20 languages worldwide, including uh, Vedic Yoga, The Path of the Rishi, which we will draw draw from for our conversation today. He is the founder and director of the American Institute of Vedic Studies. I would also like to take a moment to congratulate Vamadeva on recently receiving the Padma Bhushan Award from the Government of India one of the highest civilian awards of the country of India for Distinguished Service of a High Order. Congratulations and welcome, Vamadeva.
4: Thank you, Laurel, and thanks to Uma. Namaste to everyone. It's our great honor to be with you today, and we look forward to the conversation.
3: Great. Yogini Shambhavi Chopra is a mystic yogini, guide, and teacher rooted in the ancient teachings and traditions of Shakti worship. As an important woman teacher in the Shakti tradition of India and the Himalayas, she aims to draw one to the deeper yogic reality, helping to awaken the universal power of nurturing within us. Yogini Shambhavi has authored two books on the mother goddess in India, as well as two powerful mantra chanting CDs in the traditional style. She is the co director of the American Institute of Vedic Studies and participates in spiritual and humanitarian teachings and projects worldwide. A warm welcome to you, Shambhavi.
5: Pranam, Pranam to you and um, everyone listening in. It's- Always such an honor to share your wisdom and grace on this yoga
3: hour. Our listeners can find out more about Vamadeva and Shambhavi's uh, books and teachings through their website, Vedanet.com. That's v-e-d-a-n-e-t.com. And uh, I am delighted that they both could be with us today here on the yoga hour. Before we begin to enter into the dialogue about yoga and the Vedas, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Aum. Let's open our hearts and our minds to divine omnipresence, one reality called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone. Within us, between us, and around us. In this moment, we simply let our attention move within to the depths of our being. We become aware of our breath, noticing its natural flow, not trying to change it. Just noticing.
4: Did you turn that off?
3: No. Inhalation and exhalation. Cool air entering the nostrils, warm air flowing out. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. Our thoughts don't touch our innermost essence, our essential nature beyond words and thoughts. Beyond all change and phenomena, Pure existence being, unmoving, unchanging, birthless, deathless being. Peace emanating from the essence of our being pervades the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Oh Today, as I mentioned, we're launching a new series on the journey of self-discovery, which is at the very heart of the yoga tradition, discovering and living in harmony with the truth of our divine nature. Many people practicing yoga today have some idea that yoga has ancient roots, but are often fuzzy about what those roots are. The yoga tradition is rooted in the Vedas, the oldest scriptures in India. So, Vamadeva, for people unfamiliar with the Vedas, what are some of the most important things to understand about them?
4: Well, first of all, they're humanity's oldest and, in many respects, perhaps deepest spiritual heritage. They're the heritage of the great Himalayan yogis and rishis 5,000 years ago, from which these traditions of yoga, Vedanta, and Ayurveda, Jyotish have arisen. Uh, they're a compendium of vast mantric knowledge. They are written in a very ancient and esoteric language that requires a decipherment through meditation, initiation, and a deeper study. Uh, they are the background of many of the spiritual and religious teachings of the world. And they are now coming back to us with new modern Vedic teachers, being brought in through the Vedic sciences and being shared through new versions of the Vedas. And that is part of our work to bring this Vedic knowledge back to everyone. And we've been involved in that process both in India and throughout the West and throughout the world.
3: So we've talked about the uh, Vedas being very old, you know, documents or old, uh, you know, uh, teachings. So, how old? How far back do they go?
4: Well, they're c- considered to be part of an eternal uh, tradition, and the existing Vedic text we have, which may be as old as twenty-five, as old as five thousand years, are said to be actually the twenty-eighth compilation. So, they're also looking back to many ancient teachings. And in the Vedic tradition, we recognize that prior to our current civilization, there were earlier cultures and civilizations going back for quite a long time. Science knows the current humanity is around 200,000 years old. And so there may have been earlier civilizations before us. That is what the Vedas hold. But in any case, the Vedas are quite old, and their truth rests upon their eternal connections.
3: So we're talking about yoga and its relationship with the Veda. So how do you understand the meaning of the term yoga?
4: Well, yoga essentially means the practice of the higher knowledge, and Veda as is the wisdom or the higher knowledge. So Veda and yoga go together. Yoga is a practice of Veda. Yoga is a practice of the higher knowledge of unity, Uh, self-realization, God-realization, which the Vedas teach. And yoga shows us the practices, uh, the pranayama, mantra, meditation, not just asana. So yoga and the Vedas always go together. And the deeper yogic teachings, particularly the Raja Yoga, is more rooted in the uh, Vedas.
3: So touching on that, so... What are some ways in which yoga is rooted in the Vedas? And why is the knowledge of the connection between yoga and the Vedas important?
4: Uh, Yoga is rooted in the Vedas primarily through the uh, practice of mantra. Mantra is the language of of yoga. And all mantra is rooted in the Sanskrit language, which is the language of the Vedas and the prime teachings of yoga are given in the sanskrit language in vedic yogic and uh, vedantic text and this language of yoga this mantric language through its uh, foundation uh, through its development can be understood as the paths of yoga whether the path of knowledge paths of devotion, work, service, or the path to of various yoga techniques, Kriya Yoga, Raja Yoga, and so forth.
3: Great. So what we're talking about uh, today is really coming, being drawn from your book, uh, Vedic Yoga, the, the Path of the Rishi. So um, who or what is a
5: Rishi?
4: Well, Rishi means a seer. But is the seer of the deeper knowledge or eternal truth, one who has the inner eye open, the third eye, the eye of the heart also. So one who is able to cognize the truth directly in a state of samadhi, in a state of unity consciousness, and a state of communion with the divine mind and the universal awareness, Arishi is then the seer of that truth or reality the rishi is a great raj yogi and the rishi is one who also understands the essence of culture uh, which is not simply the outer culture but the inner culture of dharma self realization and also the creative expression of that through all aspects of human culture, arts, and sciences. Rishi is one who can envision world culture and can aid in the development and the evolution of humanity through world civilization.
3: So in the book, you talk about both the ancient Rishis who, you know, laid down <clears throat> some of the information, you know, in or laid down the information in the Vedas, as well as some more, you know, contemporary or let's say recent over the last say, you know, hundred or so years, I um, mean you describe many of them. So can you um can you just comment on that, that the Rishi, you know, process is it seems like a universal and continuing process?
4: Well, the Rishi process is a state of awareness, so that, of course, is always going on. In the ancient times, that is kind of when human civilization culture uh, was formed uh, after a certain period. So you had the great ancient Rishis of the Vedas, of which there are many dozens that have been recorded. Then over time, it was often said that great teachers were also Rishis or like Rishis, And in modern times there are still these great teachers and many of them also go back to the Vedas and teach the Vedic teachings or they renovate or modernize that or make that accessible to us in the world today. So there are still great rishis today and the rishi consciousness, the rishi loka, the great yogis are always accessible to us at a deeper level of awareness.
3: So I, I enjoyed reading about some of the more contemporary uh, rishis, as I mentioned. You know, not not necessarily those alive today, but over the more recent, you know, 150 or so years. So can you um, can you talk about you know one of them just for the listeners to get a just a little flavor of of uh, some of what you found in your research on the Vedas?
4: Well, I would think the most commonly known one in the West is uh, Sri Aurobindo. Because he wrote in English, and he wrote a vast companion of his integral yoga. Uh, he wrote also translations, studies, not only Vedas, but Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita. He was one of in, head of the Indian independence movement before he uh, withdrew into the yoga sadhana exclusively. Uh, he wrote one of the most beautiful and extensive uh, blank poem, uh, blank verse poems. In the English language called Savitri, Uh, he mastered all the branches of yoga. But he's only an example of some of the other ones, like our other teacher, Kavyakanta Ganapati Muni, who was the chief disciple of Ramana Maharshi, who had a similar range of knowledge and topics. But because he wrote in a Sanskrit uh, idiom, not in English, his work is not known uh, in the West, although it is also extremely Powerful
3: and relevant. Well, yeah, that was one aspect of the book that I enjoyed was reading about some of the you know Vedic uh, scholars and rishis that you draw on, and I really appreciated the fact that you also included the pictures of them so that we can get a you know get a sense of, of uh, at least some of what they look like. Um, so uh, it's time to move to our first break. Uh, You're listening to The Yoga Hour with guests Pandit Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi. You can learn more about their books and teachings at their website, vedanet.com. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien and discussing yoga and the Vedas. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Thank you for your support. At the base of all life is the infinite wellspring of source, and each of us has a unique way of expressing that source as an individualized soul. Do you enjoy the company of inspiring people who are living on purpose? Do you want to live joyfully attuned to your own unique soul expression? Host Reverend Kristen Powell welcomes you to join the gathering of souls who live this way. You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soul Stream, live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
1: At Metaphysical Rock Two, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, "Why did this happen to me?" A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio.
2: Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour.
3: Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm joined today by Pandit Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi. Vamadeva will be back with us in our next segment. In this segment, we'll take a look at a few Vedic yoga practices well-known to students of Kriya Yoga, tapas, self-discipline, Ishvara pranidhana or self-surrender, letting go of ego identification, and mantra, the repetition of sacred sounds to clear the mind and elevate one's consciousness. It's helpful for spiritual aspirants to see that all yoga practices help to cultivate the natural unfoldment of consciousness. We're not trying to become anything other than that which we already are at the core of our being. At the same time, we must engage in practices that help us to realize that essential nature. So, Shambhavi, how do you understand the nature of the yoga practice of tapas, generally translated as self-discipline?
5: I think you've already uh, explained it very gently. But tapas is uh, emerging our inner fire or agni with the cosmic fire. So tapasvidhi is the sadhana of inner discipline, sacred. Practices through which we harmonize our inner and outer being. So, the perfection of tapas is truly uh, born of surrender or Ishvara Pranidhana. So, surrender is uh, to concede a yielding, um, relinquishing, you know, reconciliation of the deeper self. Uh, an unfolding of uh, our deeper soul stirring. So tapas is the sacred offering of oneself into the cosmic fire. And tapas mm-hmm. shakti bestows upon the seeker an inner heat and light which stirs or awakens very gently the kundalini shakti.
3: Mm. Uh, that description was just so beautiful. And then it- on the break, you were mentioning that mantra, the practice of mantra, without that deeper uh, self-surrender was really kind of missing the point.
5: Mm-hmm. I think Ishwara Pranidhana for every uh, sadhak or spiritual seeker is very important to understand and um, cultivate because Ishwara Pranidhana is really the art of pure surrender the spiritual art. So on a personal level, as a sadhika steeped in Devi practices, uh, it has been more a surrender to Bhu Devi or Mother Earth or um, Mother Nature, the Shakti creative principle. So, Ishvara Pranidhana is truly about the divine feminine as the mother, which is a more nurturing, creative and healing force so we are already one with the cosmic principle or the infinite. It is a realizing of this divine state which guides us in letting go of the ego mind, opening up uh, into the heart where we are able to light the sacred flame of love, light, compassion, and a deeper gyan. So Sometimes through our practices we get caught up in uh, technique, when we remove the technique, then we are unable to remain in that state of surrender. Mm. So Ishvara Pranidhana can only be understood through Swadhyaya, meaning one's own higher self. You know, so, uh, and um, it's important to understand that the keys are meditating, contemplating, Musing, envisioning, or even reflecting one's deeper self. This is a very important aspect or instrument in the art of tapasya.
3: Mm. Ah, just your descriptions are just so lovely. So, um, mantra is a vast topic. Um, the Sanskrit term mantra is combination of the roots man, referring to mind, and tra, to go beyond or to save. So mm-hmm. for those not familiar with this yogic practice, what is a helpful way to understand the meaning of the term mantra?
5: Well, mantra manifests as tapas through the power of prana. So prana plays uh, a very vital role in understanding uh, the key to mantra. The so mantra yoga creates an awareness and sensitivity to one's prana.
3: Mm. And can prana you just for for people who aren't familiar with that term of prana, can you just describe it's the life prana? force? Mm-hmm.
5: You know, so the life force is very important. The breath, but the higher sattvic breath, mm. because uh, this mantra yoga, when it creates that awareness. Uh, and draws one to one's uh, life force, then creating shanti and sthira or, or stability, steadfastness, stillness uh, is very important at a very subtle vibrational level. So mantra is tapas. Mantra is svadhyaya. And mantra is Ishvara Pranidhana. Mm-hmm. So the mantra has to be energized with prana, it becomes a mere mental repetition. So the mantra tapas as the power of the life force of breath and attention, when it is focused inwards to develop higher energies and insights, then it manifests as shanti or stillness, thira. So it's the mantra japa that draws the shakti or the energy of uh, speech within connecting us to the power of the divine word, what we call Vakshakti, or the grace of the Devi, especially Saraswati Devi. So mantra tapas is not merely creating internal heat, but is a practice of patience, prayer, passion, preparing one's inner vessel, one's inner Character to sustain divine energy and the flow of grace. So it's the mantra that allows us to detach ourselves from the outer world and its disturbances or even distractions, helping us to turn our minds within, allowing us to remove uh, negative traits, habits, addictions, and inertia from our emotions. So when we bring consciousness to anything, we are directing pure energy into it, which has the nature of Agni. So the mantra nurtures this Agni or fire principle.
3: Mm. That was just a really... Beautiful, beautiful. I didn't want to interrupt anything you were saying because I was enjoying it so much. So let's look at mantra in the context of the Gayatri Mantra from the Rig Veda. Many yoga students have heard of the Gayatri Mantra but may not know much about its deep meaning and how to approach uh, chanting the Gayatri Mantra. So um, what are some important things to understand about the Gayatri Mantra?
5: Well, traditional uh, Vedic approaches to mantra really require ritualistic purification of the body, mind, senses, and prana, as well as creating a sacred time and space. And here the guidance of a guru or a teacher who is steeped in the sadhana of ancient practices and gyan really helps with the practice of understanding um, the nuances of any powerful mantra. So um, the Gayatri Mantra is a mantra of uh, the highest form of tapas, seeking the highest purification of the ego, self-transcendence and transformation. So the Gayatri Mantra represents light and heat. And Vishwamitra represents the power of the will, agni or fire. So Vishwamitra is the rishi of tapas, as Baba Deva always says, he is the great warrior on the spiritual search. So this um, is not a mantra you play with or use lightly. It has to be done with great reverence and respect and purity. In fact, it is one of the 10,000 Vedic mantras that the Gayatri mantra must be practiced with a lot of integrity, purity, because it is also a heat-generating mantra. And this is why, in many ways, uh, women are cautioned not to do too many repetitions because um, the Gayatri Mantra is a mantra for entering the higher lokas, removing us from our material world of Maya to higher spiritual planes. In fact, in some ways, uh, it is um, entering the worlds of celestial light. So we use the Gayatri Mantra for spiritual rebirth and spiritual rebirth through fire, lighting the Agni. Because the Shri Gayatri Mantra helps us harness the power of the inner sun. So the mantra releases the supreme solar power the power of the inner sun of self-realization and cosmic creation. So only those wishing to bring about a new creation or a new dawn for not only themselves at an individual level, but humanity at large should really chant or bring in the practice of this mantra into our lives.
3: So you've talked about how important it is to approach the Gayatri Mantra with uh, reverence and uh, to take it seriously. Um, Are there other uh, guidance that you can give us about the highest way to approach the chanting of the Gayatri Mantra?
5: I think first of all, we must uh, create or inculcate that discipline, which I think the Kriya Yoga teaches very beautifully, where you have to learn to create and manifest that stillness and that uh, shanti through shakti, you know, is the stillness born of uh, peace and harmony. So only when one knows, when one is focused on what we really want to achieve through our sadhana, should we draw in particular mantras. And that is where we always say that... um, the guidance of a guru or a teacher who, is, uh, who has done, who has experienced the sadhana of the mantra can really help. So holding an attitude of ahimsa, you know, not wishing harm to any living being is also another very important understanding in mantra practices. So sadhana is very essential.
3: Yeah, I love the connection of uh, of a practice such as mantra or, you know, an inward turning practice with uh, our outward lives. You know, how we're living our lives uh, with that tapas, you know, with that, uh, you know, self-surrender or Ishvara Pranidhan. Um, and that you can't really separate, you can't, it's not something you can just go and do you know, go and and sit for, you know, 20 minutes and maybe Mm -hmm. chant, you know, some Gayatri Mantra for 10 minutes and then you go Mm -hmm. and you just live live your life in any old way.
5: Mm -hmm. But you really... Yeah, because we all are immersed in this world of Maya. So we are unable to dive into the higher realms of life. We can only see the light on the outside, but the inner light uh, seems to still elude us in many ways but the Rishi was able to access all the inner realms of light. So the subtle body, as Devaji very beautifully explains, is like a uh, spaceship, a body of light, which can travel into the realms of cosmic light. And the Devas are the godheads of the realms of this light. So it is the mantra which manifests the Rishi-like state to move towards this like. Once we understand this, then it is easier to move into any mantra sadhana.
3: And you ha- you just mentioned uh, a minute ago or so that uh, the Gayatri mantra is obviously one of many many mantras you know that are in the Vedas. But I was interested to note that there are actual other actually other Gayatri mantras as well.
5: There's a whole set and, of course, another very beautiful Vedic mantra is also the Mahamrityunjaya with the Bijas. So there are several, but as you have also said, that one first has to understand the principles which uh, are very important to draw one into, uh, you know, Asadhana, which is Tapas, uh, Ishvara, Pranidhana, Svadhaya, you know, all these things are very important to understand, to uh, formalize our sadhana or practice.
3: Oh, indeed. So, um, if someone were um, to uh, want more information about, um, you know, the chanting of mantras... Um, I mean, I know obviously we're talking about the book, but I also wanted to, uh, to give an opportunity to you to mention the... I think you have some CDs available. Is that is that correct?
5: Yes, yes. We do have two CD, uh, CDs which um, have the pronunciation and uh, the depth of the vibration. Uh,
3: mm-hmm.
5: So uh, it's very important to get the pronunciation correct.
3: Yes, because it really is uh, It is a... Um, uh, resonance um, oh, yes. and and the fact that it 's in Sanskrit also um, y- maybe you can talk about that a little bit um, the fact that it 's in Sanskrit these mantras obviously they're translated also into English so people can understand what they 're chanting, but Sanskrit as a vibrational language uh, actually has you know has a lot of uh,
5: benefits yes, Sanskrit uh, is the language of the Devas. So these are really uh, cosmic sounds and vibrations. So that is why we always, when we teach, we insist that the pronunciation has to be correct because if the pronunciation is not correct, you could be creating a totally different vibration. So the key to the mantra is the vibration of the right cosmic sound because some of us are doing these mantras and then we realize but nothing's really happening, is because the pronunciation uh, is not uh, correct. So every teacher must understand Sanskrit, must understand um, this cosmic language before they embark on teaching uh, other people. So I think these are essential um, necessities to be able to study Sanskrit uh, as uh, one of the most beautiful cosmic languages and then to learn the pronunciation. So we teach everyone to create that uh, beautiful vibration.
3: Well, thank you so much, Yogini Shambhavi. I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation about mantra. Um, We're moving to the... We're moving to the uh, commercial break. Uh, You're listening to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. Today's guests are Pandit Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi, whose website is vedanet.com, V-E-D-A-N-E-T.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. Please stay with us. We'll be right back to explore more about yoga and the Vedas.
1: You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it. And according to Yogis and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious with enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at theyogahour@unityonlineradio.org, at unityonlineradio.org. And we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour.
3: Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. My guests today are Pandit Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi. Vamadeva is the founder and director of the American Institute of Vedic Studies and the author of many books, including the one we're discussing today, Vedic Yoga, The Path of the Rishi. In this segment, we'll explore the relevance of Vedic yoga to our world today. So, Vamadeva, how would you summarize the key differences between modern yoga today and Vedic yoga?
4: Uh, yes, there are many, many differences, actually, and, of course, some similarities. Yoga today is largely the asana aspect that people focus on, with a little bit of pranayama and meditation on the side, as it were. And that's more the outer aspect of yoga that's sometimes people today call hatha yoga, although traditional hatha yoga is more than that. And the Vedic yoga is more specifically the raja yoga that emphasizes the pranayama, mantra, Meditation, there is an outer, often a component. But the central factor is the mantra leading us directing us to the uh, deeper state of meditation. So the Vedic yoga is an integral yoga that includes the yogas of knowledge, the yoga of devotion, a yoga of work and service, use of techniques and also use of the willpower and direct meditation. It is also a yoga tradition that is connected to the other Vedic sciences like Ayurvedic medicine, the Vedic astrology, the Vastu Shastra, and that is uh, rooted in a Uh, view of yoga as a way of connecting to our complete human and spiritual potential and to the universe as a whole as embracing all true culture and also as taking us beyond our human limitations to our deeper cosmic and eternal nature. So it's very much like the Raja Yoga of Patanjali, but even expanded beyond that somewhat into all these other uh, Vedic disciplines.
3: Right. And at the break, um, we were just, uh, chatting a little bit about, um, the importance of, you know, not just, you know, the, the practices that you point to, but also of living, you know, living yoga of, uh, living from that real, realization that we are all one, that there is this, you know, one, you know, uh, unifying, you know, presence, um, and the importance of the yamas and niyamas in, in, um, um, you know, in bringing that to your practice as well.
4: Yes, that's very important. You discussed tapas, vajraya, Ishvara, pranidhamma, which are part of this uh, process, and then the essence of a yogic or a Vedic life. Uh, We need to bring the yoga into how we move, how we think, how we breathe, and we need to unify our faculties, unitary prana, unitary mind, the unity of the eye or the third eye. Uh, it's a whole uh, movement in life, life leading to transcendence of into the immortal or the eternal life, and is a life in harmony with nature, uh, which is not simply the outer nature that we look at in a scientific or ecological way today, but the inner nature in which we hold the entire universe within our own minds and hearts, and in which all the worlds, all the lokas, all the planets, stars, mountains, sky, waters, are part of us and exist and live and move through us.
3: Yes I thought your book was so lovely in that regard where it was really drawing the deeper meaning you know from the from the Vedas um that Sometimes in the past, translations have really focused on the more superficial or, you know, topical, you know, meanings about, you know, the sun and the moon and, you know, almost just like a, you know, a a simplification of it just to outer, you know, phenomenon. And, you know, you really do a lovely job of making the tie, you know, symbolically of all of the language in the Vedas with our inner processes.
4: Yes, in fact, it's important to understand the existing translations we have of the Vedas are really not very good or very deep, because they largely reflect the outer mind. Vedas say they have seven levels of meaning, uh, sometimes put into four different uh, areas, uh, so that uh, only if we understand these deeper levels of mantric meaning can we really appreciate the uh, Vedas, And academic scholars without that spiritual yogic background have often missed that. So the Vedas also speak of the deities, the powers of light behind the universe as a whole. And so when they speak of fire or agni, for example, it's not just the outer fire that one makes offerings into that academics focus on. It is ultimately the inner fire, the chitagni, the fire of consciousness, in which if we offer ourselves, we can achieve the highest light
3: and the greatest uh, self-realization. Mm. Oh, just I've said it just so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we when we do um, look at um, you know the planet today, and obviously there are you know ecological issues that we're facing. So is there a tie-in between you know the the Vedic yoga and some contribution to maybe how we are holding? Uh, taking care of the earth today?
4: Absolutely. In fact, first we must understand the earth is our mother, and the earth is a deity or divine presence that we need to treat and honor in a sacred manner. And the earth also carries the divine light or agni. There is the fire at the core of the earth, and there is the life fire that manifests through uh, living uh, creatures, and Vedas teach us how to communicate with, make offerings to uh, the earth and the inner fire, the fire within the earth, so that we can have a living relationship to these divine powers of nature, so that we can share with them, we can honor them, we can receive their blessings and their guidance and we can leak, link back to the entire universe as a single organism, but starting with the earth, but this does mean recognizing the divine presence within the earth, not just simply treating it as a material formation or as uh, some form of uh, ecological structure
3: so we 've been talking a lot about the you know the Vedas in. Um, and- the, we mentioned earlier on in the first segment, you know how this, you know, Rishi tradition is obviously because it's in consciousness. It's something that is, you know, happening today. What signs do you see that the wisdom of the ancient Vedas is emerging today?
4: Oh, I think we see this worldwide in the new interest in yoga, the new interest in natural healing, the new interest in ecology, the growing respect for native traditions, uh, the growing. Uh, honoring of all the different cultures of the world, recognizing a universal tradition of mysticism, of spirituality, and self-realization, the growing expanse of the Vedic sciences, including the Vedanta, the Ayurveda, uh, the uh, Jyotish, and the greater seeking for light in many people. At the same time, when the light comes in, there's often a greater darkness or shadow, And we also see that kind of conflict or polarization uh, going on. But I think that's a sign that this deeper light is emerging. You can give it another name if you wish. But the Vedas do carry much of that spiritual
5: light tradition of humanity for us today.
3: So, although some people may think of the Vedas or yoga as based on particular texts, in in what ways are the Vedas and yoga alive and active in our world beyond the scope of any text?
4: Well, even the texts say that the Vedas are infinite and uh, yoga is connected or the Adi Guru is Ishwara, reflecting the divine reality or the divine presence within ourselves. Yoga and the Vedas are rooted in the inner self, the Antrayami, the Antar our are eternal and universal nature. So the texts are important, they are study guides to help us move into that deeper reality, but they are not a substitute for it. They are a way of connecting us to the yoga practices, the contemplation, the meditation the moving within, and the discovering of the world of nature and the entire universe as part of our own greater being. So in that respect, the way of wisdom through the Vedas pervades all of life. It is accessible for us at every moment, but we must open our minds and hearts to the divine presence that pervades all of nature and transcends all of nature.
3: Mm. So I was I was going to ask about uh, words of uh, hope or blessing, but it, it seems like that was was pretty much you know hopeful, <laughs> and uh, having a lot of blessing is just to to see the divine fully extended you know onto this uh, earthly realm. Um, we are in a
4: time of challenge, and we do have to arouse the divine light within us. It's not a, it's not an easy thing. That should be the goal of our lives, but if we do that, the flow of grace will.
3: Naturally, be with us. That's mm. oh, just uh, just really lovely. Uh, well, Avamadeva and uh, Shambhavi, again, I want to thank you so much for being on the Yoga Hour uh, today. Uh, for our listeners, uh, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. We've been discussing Yoga and the Vedas, the eternal and universal tradition of self-awareness with our special guests, Pandit Vamadeva Shastri and Yogini Shambhavi. You can find out more about their books and classes at vedanet.com. And once again, congratulations, Vamadeva, on the recent great honor of the Padma Bhushan Award from the government of India. Thank you both for joining us.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is
3: honor. I also wanted to remind our listeners about prior Yoga Hour episodes with Vamadeva and Shambhavi that can be accessed via iTunes or at unity.fm. There's an episode uh, from last summer from July 24th, 2014, uh, called Refresh Your Mind with Pratyahara. Uh, there's another one on Mantra Yoga, The Power of the Word from April 7th, 2011, and there's another episode with just Vamadeva, I shouldn't say just, <laughs> Vamadeva by himself, uh, called Nectar of Immortality, Soma, the Eternal Universal Energy of Peace, Bliss, and Delight, which is from May 16th of uh, 2013. Please join us next week for In Praise of Mother Earth, an encore presentation of a conversation between Yogacharya O'Brien and special guest Christopher Key Chapel, discussing how our relationship with the Earth is critical to our spiritual awakening. For information about CSE, visit csecenter.org and remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is on the road. Until then, remember you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.
2: Thank you for tuning into the Yoga Hour Living the Eternal Way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien.
1: you've seen reality tv well now get ready for reality radio it's raw unpredictable and completely unscripted healing your life with dr chris michaels follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome challenges listen in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey learn what it takes to really heal your life dr chris michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels, live Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio.
2: Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share, to be fruitful, and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God. This
1: meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are?